John Cannon, I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, June 1st. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way, but the real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We'll take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that has been heaped upon us. And we do it all right here, live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our show, um, our audio of our show streams at www.letstalknative.com. And there's a lot more than that there. So I encourage you to check out our website. And we stream live video of the show on Facebook Live. Our shows are available as podcasts on your favorite podcast platform after the broadcast. And we post video of our show on our YouTube channel, uh, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I am assisted by Jake Proud here in studio, who is managing our video and our sound. Um, yeah, I got a few things to to kind of get out there, but let me let me start by by thanking uh, Peter Dorico for joining me on my show in New York. Um, I do a show every Thursday from four to five p.m. on WBAI in New York City, and Peter Dorico, who's a friend of mine, he's a He's an attorney. Uh, he was a law professor uh, at uh, UMass at Amherst. He joined me for the show. We we talked a little bit about one of the, the topics that I talked about here, which was the, the Neil Gorsuch rulings on the two cases, the one involving the Yakima and the other one involving the Crow. Um, but we, we tried to put the whole, you know, Trump appointee in uh, to the Supreme Court in, in its proper perspective um, and not shying away from the fact that we have uh, bad rulings that come from the liberals and from the conservatives on the court. So uh, Peter was a great guest. We It was a good show. I encourage you to check it out. Um, it, it, we do a uh, Facebook live stream that show as well, so you can watch the, the Facebook video, and we'll get that video posted on our YouTube, YouTube channel, and it'll get posted on our, um, uh, our, our podcast here. It's not up yet, right? The podcast, yeah. So it, it'll it that'll get posted as well. So, uh, but do check it out. Uh, it, it was a really it was quite a good show. And and I encourage you, those of you who listen to this show, by all means, check out my show in New York next week. I've got Lance Gums who's going to join um, join me, possibly even in studio. Uh, we're going to talk about those poor rich white people <laughs> out in the Hamptons who are having a heart attack over the fact that the Shinnecock the Shinnecock put up a. They put up a digital billboard. It's just, it's 
It's some. It's just a money venture. It's it's something they put up there to generate revenue for. They don't have a casino. They don't have a whole lot of nation enterprises. But they decided they put up uh, two large billboards that that they could sell time and space on, and the white people had a fit. I mean, it's 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 reminiscent of these white people who who have lost their mind over the Ramapo uh, having property um, just uh, you know on the outside of their gated community. And here you've got the the wealthy elite, liberal wealthy elite, I might add, in the Hamptons of Long Island, just pitching a fit because the the they think the the Shinnecock are destroying their landscape, and they they go so far as to say that they're upsetting the natural beauty. Well, what the hell did your mansions on the on the seaside do for crying out loud? It's it's just absurd. But anyway, Lance comes um, is going to join me on my show in New York, and so I encourage you to check that show out again. That's Thursday from four to five p.m. If you're in New York City, you can catch us at uh, 99.5 on the FM dial, or you can go to WBAI.org um, and catch the audio there, or you can just follow us on uh, on Facebook, and we'll Facebook live stream the show. Uh, so there's, there's that. Um, I, you know, look, one of my friends posted on my Facebook group page um, uh, the Mark Charles announcement. Yay! Mark Charles is running for president of the United States. If you don't remember who Mark Charles is, he's the guy that I kind of blasted because he's being touted as an expert on the doctrine of Christian discovery. But his whole take on the doctrine of Christian discovery is, yes, they you know they, they treated us like animals and they stole all our land and they uh, they decided that discovery of us was tantamount to um, uh, to uh, uh, conquering us, and so we've been conquered. And uh, yet we don't, we're not equal in the eyes of uh, of the Constitution. And so he gets into this whole "we the people" thing. So rather than rather than looking at the doctrine of discovery and saying this is was so wrong on so many different levels, and it and making the case that by exposing what the doctrine of discovery is, we can we are strong to make our case that that we have the right to a, an independent existence. But that's not where Mark Charles is going. No, Mark Charles he he believes that. Talking about the doctrine of discovery is um, fodder for better assimilation. I mean, now this this guy who's I think Navajo on his mother's side and uh, he's white on his father's side or something like that is is going and he doesn't even live in Navajo territory. Okay, just to be clear, he lives in Washington D.C. and he's going to run for president of the United States. So he's joining the other um, twenty five or so. Uh, people running for the Democratic uh, nomination. Of course, he, it's a publicity stunt. You know, it, it, look, Jake even suggested that he's probably going to have this failed effort and then launch a book tour afterwards, and, and which is probably right. Or, or maybe he'll do another TED talk on losing the Democratic nomination or something like that. But no, this guy. You know, again, I get into this 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 war of words. With so many people, um, when I when I I mean I posted something on uh, around Memorial Day, <laughs> and I said, "Look, all those guys who died uh, wearing a, a a U.S. military uniform, they didn't die defending my freedom. They they didn't they didn't die for me. And and I'm not saying they didn't. I'm not saying they didn't die for anything. I'm not saying they." That they wasted their lives, and I wasn't even condemning. I'm just saying, look, if you're native and you join the military, you're not fighting for native issues, and you're not fighting for freedom of speech or gun, you know, uh, you know, right to bear arms. None of that stuff. You're you've just became a pawn of the U.S. military. I mean, you're just part of that war machine, the military-industrial complex. You're the foot soldier. That's what you signed up for. Whatever reason you did. You didn't do it to defend native territory. You didn't do it to defend our free and independent existence. No, you you took an oath to to stand for for America, for the United States, and their global domination. That's what you did. Now that may not be the reason you did it. Maybe you know you uh, maybe you really did uh, you know fight in World War Two because of uh, what the Japan or what the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. I don't know. I mean, of course, the reason they bombed Pearl Harbor is because the U.S. was building up a huge military force in the in the South Pacific, um, and and was essentially threatening them. And and it would have been 
probably a little bit better if, if all those native people who thought joining the U.S. military over Pearl Harbor, maybe they should have spoke up a little bit louder when the United States invaded Hawaii and took the land away from the, you know, uh, uh, did a coup, essentially, against the Hawaiian kingdom, imprisoned and uh, and held hostage. The queen of uh, 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 Lilio Kalani held her hostage. I mean, the U.S. invaded Hawaii. They invaded Hawaii. The Japanese didn't invade Hawaii. They bombed a, a, a naval target. Of course, the United States... They didn't bomb uh, just military targets when they bombed Japan. They bombed, you know, uh, over a half dozen cities, two of which they dropped nuclear weapons on. The only country in the world that's ever uh, dropped a nuclear bomb on uh, on uh, on people, not just not soldiers, not military targets, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, look, I realize that what you know, as I say in my opening, I'm going to step on a few toes. I am not condemning people for joining the military. There's a lot of reasons people do it, and most of them aren't really good. I mean, they aren't. Most of them had to do with our circumstance. I, look, it, it, that whole residential school experience that that shaped our young men for a little more than to join the military. That's what that whole thing. They were teaching kids to march, put them in uniforms. They give them little wooden sticks like guns that they could carry on their uh, on their shoulders. Look, residential schools was was essentially pre military. That's that's what it was for. But it, but when you take away so much uh, native land and you take away our livelihoods and you try to destroy our language, oh, except for when you can weaponize it. Yeah, I know the code talkers. We're, we're we're supposed to have so much respect for the code talkers. They were just other enlisted men. However, they got there, whether they were drafted, whether they enlisted, whether they uh, look. There were there are plenty of stories of people who. Who were brought up in front of a judge, and the judge says, "Look, you can either join the military, or, uh, or I'm going to throw you in jail for whatever reason." There's a lot of reasons that that Native people became soldiers for World War II. Now, some of them, once the uh, the U.S. military realized that the Japanese, more so even than the, the Germans, were experts at breaking codes, thought, "Well, if we use Native language or uh, as part of the code, then then we can." We can exploit a language, the same language we're trying to kill back home. We'll, we'll use it in the field. So, I mean, look, if this offends a bunch of people, I'm not trying to condemn people for, for joining the military. I'm just saying you didn't do it for us. You did it for America. If you joined for because of 9-11, all right, you're, Amer- you're an American hero. You just, you, and, and who did you, when you joined, and you, and you were going to go there and kick some ass, did you go to Saudi Arabia? Because you remember the guys who did it? Who At least the United States claims did it? They were from Saudi Arabia, including bin Laden. I mean, they were they were even funded by, by Saudis. But no, most of you ended up going to Iraq. Iraq had nothing to do with it. I mean, so look. If you, I mean, I've got a, I've got a meme that I posted a while back that said, you know, the final stages of oppression, genocide, is when, when the oppressed people fight, fight their last bo- battle for the very country that oppressed them and, and do so to oppress other people. And then they stand in line to vote thinking that that's, that's their expression of freedom. I mean, that's genocide. I mean, when, when, you, when you become a, a, a witting participant in your own um, perishing culture because... What you're trying to adhere yourself to the, to Americans, to the United States, the country that that committed mass murder against our people, they 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 raped our women, they they orphaned our children, they they took children away from us and put them in uh, in residential schools for a hundred freaking years. Now, look, if you join the military because you thought that was some way that you could gain some respectability back from a, uh, because you lived in a territory that was. You know, living in abject poverty were, were, were your only options. Look, I, I get that, and I'm not saying don't be proud of what you did. I mean, if you thought, if you think fighting Nazis or you know, or the Taliban or whoever you, you know, you think you were fighting or you were fighting, it, you know, it, I don't know if anybody who was proud of proud of killing Vietnamese, I'm not sure what to think about that, but uh, because that that had nothing to do with the United States being attacked by anybody. I mean, it had to do with an ideology that the United States had about stopping communism. 
Although, it is kind of peculiar when you think about it. You, you look back, United States is allies with Germany now, allies with Japan now, allies with communist countries like, you know, China and, uh, and, and look, they could, they could say that China and, and Russia are, are adversaries, um, unless you're Trump and then if you're Trump and Russia is your friend, but, but China's your, you know, you're in a trade war with. I mean, look, our people should not be enlisting in their military. And regardless of what took place in the, pa- took place in the past, I would hope that Native people do not encourage their children and their grandchildren to become the weapons of the United States, the pawns of the United States. I mean, it, uh, the United States is the only global threat to peace. They are the only global threat to peace. I mean, look, somebody can light a bomb and do an improvised explosive device, maybe even fly a plane into a, into a, a, a skyscraper. But in terms of wiping out people, in terms of really oppressing people, it, United States, I mean, the United States isn't just guilty of genocide against indigenous people um, in North America. And, and, and look, I got to include Canada in all this stuff. So, I mean, if you, I said whatever I said about enlisting with the U.S. armed forces. I it's the same thing with Canada. U.S. and Canada are not just guilty of committing crimes against indigenous people in North America; they're doing it all over the world. The United States, in particular, you know more so than Canada, but look, they got troops everywhere. Seventy countries, seventy countries. The United States has military bases or military presence in. If any other country, I mean, if. With China uh, uh, develops any military uh, presence ar- around China, and the United States looks at that as an act of aggression. So, look, I'm not going to heroize um, U.S. veterans. That's my choice. I mean, I don't have to do that, right? I'm not condemning everybody who, who enlisted. But just be clear, you enlisted in in the military of a country that committed genocide, uh, not only did commit genocide, but continues to commit genocide against Native people. I mean, you can justify it any way you want. 9-11, Nazis, you know, Holocaust, I mean, whatever. I, um, you, you think you know what communism is and you oppose that? Whatever. You, you can take that any way you want. But um, I just think it's important that, that, we, that, that we realize that the U.S. military... There wasn't some day that the U.S. military all of a sudden became our friend after, after committing massacres against our people, after you know, imprisoning us on quote-unquote reservations. I mean, at what point? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because uh, Native people began enlisting at a pretty high rate even for World War I. I mean, to tell you, that's I mean, the, the shadow of, of the massacre at Wounded Knee was still fresh in people's memories. I mean, the fact that coming out of the Civil War, the United States went, went all in waging war against Native people, right up to the point, uh, you know, of massacres, uh, you know, uh, including Sand Creek and Wounded Knee, and then would rip our children out of our homes up until the 1970s in the United States and the 1990s in Canada, where the mortality rate was as high as 50% in some of those schools. I mean, between the, the the actual rape and murder of our, our our kids in those schools, the the malnutrition, the the lack of adequate health care, uh, or oftentimes putting them in a health risk, especially with tuberculosis, by not by failing to quarantine or, or give proper ventilation, none of that stuff, and then making the conditions so intolerable that many kids died running away from uh from these uh these schools both in the US and uh, on the Canadian side they 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 died freezing to death on a on a set of railroad tracks trying to go go home and, and to homes that oftentimes were hundreds if not a thousand miles away from from where uh, these schools were located from their homes so <laughs> look i don't know how people justify uh, enlisting in the, in the military um and then touting you know i mean I have a problem with the whole powwow thing that, that all these powwows have been turned into veterans powwows. Well, what about our people who who fought the United States and who are fighting them every day, whether when it comes to a pipelines or or fighting you know contamination of our rivers or, or whatever else? I mean, 
we're still at at uh, at war at at some level but again if if the if the only thing that you can you know brag about is having been enlisted in in the you know US armed forces i hope you do you know, including these these code talkers I, i've said this before i hope that some of these guys who had their language exploited by the US military i hope some of them were were language teachers i'd like to think that 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 even though they were exploited for their language while in military service, that perhaps they, they taught the language and they did other good things with their lives. I know not all of them did. I mean, heck, Peter McDonald, he goes around bragging, you know, was, uh, you know, so boastful about being a, a code talker. This guy went to prison for, um, uh, for embezzling money from, uh, from the Navajo. So I, I don't know. But, you know look, all I, all I can say is that if you enlist in the U.S., or Canadian Armed Forces, you're not doing it to serve Native people. You're doing it to serve the United States and Canada. And those two countries, um, two, they were two of the four who um, voted against the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and who are still who still stand in stark violation of the uh, of of the document. I mean, it's uh, I just think it it almost goes without saying that the United States and Canada are probably the most guilty nations on uh, in the in the world of violating the articles of the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And and you you can start right from the preamble. Like you know I always I always read that preamble because um as we talk about the doctrine of Christian discovery um in in the third affirmation of the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, they essentially repudiate it. They say all doctrines and policies and practices that uh, that promote superiority based on national origin or ethnicity or religion or race are that it's scientifically false, you know, morally condemnable, socially unjust, legally invalid. I mean, that's what the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples says about such a thing. And if you start from that pre- from that premise, the whole, almost the entire house of cards that is the the, the U.S. Um, set of laws that they call federal Indian law, which are really federal laws about Indians, including IGRA. We can go right up all the way through. The idea that they're asserting this kind of power over our uh, over our people is is really kind of absurd. So, look, I, I wanted to address, um, yeah, poke fun a little bit, of, poke a little bit of fun at uh, at Mark Charles um, uh, in this publicity stunt of his. I mean, obviously, most people don't even know who he is, and and look, and if if you're a native. Don't just think because a native guy is running for office that you that you need. I mean, the guy is he's more assimilated. Yeah, I know he's got long hair and and that kind of thing, but this guy promotes assimilation. You know, he he wants to be a good American and he wants to be counted as a good American. That's what he wants. He's not he's not fighting for our distinction or autonomy or sovereignty. No, that's not what Mark Charles is about. I mean, and Frankly, any of these ones who run for office, whether it's Deborah Hallen or Sharice Davids or the the Republicans, I can even think of half the guys that are. I mean, there's there are Republicans, uh, Native people too. Don't forget Oklahoma, not exactly a Democratic stronghold. And and these people aren't promoting Native autonomy. None of them, in the right or the left, they're not promoting Native autonomy. They're promoting inclusion. They you know and and they may. Push a few native issues. I, I've heard Deborah Holland talking about, uh, you know, condemning the Interior Department for some of, you know, what, they, what they've been doing wrong and going after uh, um, a few other agencies that are, uh, have uh, been derelict in their responsibilities to their so-called trust relationship. Um, you know, and and put some noise out there about the missing and murdered Indigenous women. And look, all that's good. I, I think raising awareness and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I support that. But you know what? These people get elected by white people. And that's who they really serve. At the end of the day, when you look at somebody's legislative um, track record down the road, you're going to find that these these native uh, politicians didn't do a whole lot, didn't create a whole lot of legislation. Um, or, and what we really need to do is undo some of this legislation. I mean, we can't, we have a hard time getting the federal government to do the things that they've already legislated to do. I mean, uh, IGRA comes to mind. I mean, the, in, in, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, the Interior Department is the federal agency charged with, uh, with um, 
making sure that that states aren't violating uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, and they don't do it. They're they're completely derelict in their responsibility. They half the time they won't even weigh in if there's a dispute. They won't they won't even um, they won't reject a compact. Eh, they'll look the other way, and I'm going to talk about that in the second half of the show because uh, oh, as it turns out, I I talked last week about. Um, the Buffalo News and uh, their racist rant calling the Senecas cheats and liars and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, they, they went on and on. There was a whole list of, uh, you know, the Senecas aren't as good as their word. I mean, just, just went on and on. Um, well, they're not alone. The uh, Another local paper uh, out of Lockport, New York, which is, you know, uh, not far from, uh, well, it's a, it's a Buffalo suburb. The Lock, Lockport Journal, they, they joined right in with the Buffalo News and, and, uh, with more of the rant. And in fact, they even went, they went a little farther to blame the Senecas for the fact that Niagara Falls has old fire trucks. I mean, a quarter of a billion dollars went to Niagara Falls from Seneca Gaming indirectly you know, through this revenue sharing. And the fact that they have old fire trucks is somehow the Seneca's fault. And that's what the Lockport Journal, uh, uh, wrote in one of their editorials this week. And we'll talk about that when we come back. But uh, we'll take a break and we'll, we'll come back and I'll get into the, the Lockport Journal. And, uh, and you know, th- I want to address what their main issue was, which is their their argument was that binding arbitration means binding arbitration. Well, well, we'll talk about what binding arbitration really means when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. sponsors let's talk native is sponsored by ross and holly john and the rje family of businesses eric white and erw enterprises a few folks that uh, choose to remain unnamed i guess uh and an occasional check drops in the mail every once in a while and and uh that support really enables us to do what we do here and it enables me to take the trip to new york and do a show in new york city every week um we've been slowly upgrading some of our equipment and uh, so those Donations, those contributions, not just from our um, uh, the folks who uh, support the show on a regular basis, but those of you who drop something on occasion, we we put that money to use here. So I want to uh, thank you for uh, your consistent support and for those who make contributions when they can. I also want to thank all of you who contribute uh, your comments um, that we look for on our Facebook live stream um, and to my web, my Facebook posts and and my my um, my. T- uh, tweets and that kind of stuff i i do appreciate the exchange even though i know some of you aren't going to agree with me i i put stuff out there that i know is some eh, it can be contentious because it's not oftentimes it's not the widely held conversations that uh, the people are having so i want to thank all of you who contribute in the dialogue i also want to thank those of you who share the show uh, my wife in particular who shares the facebook live stream on so many of these uh, other group pages i want to thank the um uh, those who, who run the, these uh, Facebook group pages, uh, the administrators for allowing us to to share our show on your pages. 
Uh, it is the way we spread the word. It's the way we get it out there and have uh, have more of a conversation. And and you know what? Look, for me, the the greatest reward that I get back is when I put something out there and somebody says, "Man, I'm glad you said that." I've been waiting for somebody to say something just like that because I, I know some of the things that I'm expressing are not the things that the all those iconic individuals and all those guys who are heroes and that kind of stuff, celebrities that are out there saying, I'm saying something that's uh, maybe a little tough, a little uncomfortable truth, I guess. And so that's what that's what we do here. So uh, I want to thank all of you for, for sharing the show um, on Facebook, sharing our podcast, sharing our, our YouTube videos, and participating. And you know what? Um, if you haven't, then I encourage you to do so. This is the way we uh, we promote the conversation. <clears throat> all right. Let me get, uh, get into it a little bit. Uh, Lockport Journal. They they wrote a, an editorial, and and their their main point was that the b- binding arbitration should be binding. Now, and here's the thing: what the arbitration panel was was supposed to do was to resolve a dispute. And in their ruling on this uh, on the compact, where they said even though. And and, they, and these are their words. The, the the compact was silent on payments continuing past fourteen years. They did an interpretation, and and they made some assumptions. That they first off, they made assumptions that the compact, as it was negotiated in two thousand two, their assumption was that the compact is negotiated in two thousand two, intended for the payments to continue. Now to to continue past fourteen years. The crazy part is. These arbitrators never called the Pataki administration you know, to testify. They never brought the, the, the representatives of the state from 2002 up. They're using the interpretation from the Cuomo administration today who says, oh, no, uh, it was supposed to continue. Well, how do you know? I mean, how did the arbitrators even know that those who actually negotiated on, be, on behalf of the state that the, that they had any intention of the of these payments continuing the past fourteen years, I mean because there's nothing to suggest that. I mean, and to have the the Cuomo administration offering their interpretation of what the Pataki administration meant is really kind of absurd. I mean, there was there was no point that the arbitration panel said, "Well, we need to hear from those who represent, represented the state in 2002 in order for us to." To make this assumption that that there was that the state believed that the payments are going to continue. Now, this is ignoring what the, what the Senecas believed, because basically the Senecas are the same people, right? The, the Senecas are the same Senecas essentially that were there in two thousand two that are there uh, today. I mean, they don't change politically in the same way that a Republican governor, uh, you know, uh, so who serves as governor versus a Democrat who serves as governor. I mean, it's it's a complete changeover when you have when you have a party changeover it's a complete changeover from governor to governor but it's even more so when you go from a republican governor like george pataki to a democratic governor like like andrew cuomo so you have these arbitration panel the two non-native guys on the arbitration panel i guess because if i say that they're white somehow i'm being racist but the two non-native people on the arbitration panel said well of course the, the payments should continue why should the Senecas get an exclusivity that continues if they don't if they don't pay? Well, they never even looked at what the exclusivity is. So, the logical thing for the Senecas to do, considering that two of these three judges in this arbitration panel were now going to add language that wasn't there, and was now going to say they were going to dictate to the Senecas, well, here is what you agreed to, which. Is not what the Senecas agreed to. The, the Senecas agreed to pay for 14 years. Now we could debate whether the state, whether a an exclusivity ever existed, and and whether the exclusivity that in in its really really you know ridiculous form, whether it, it should even continue. Because you could argue that the Senecas paid so much money for 14 years. I mean, a billion and a half dollars. You could argue that. They paid for whatever that exclusivity is, you know, indefinitely. But uh, but that's not even, I mean, that's not even an argument worth making. The fact is that the Senecas paid an ever-increasing percentage of their slot revenue 
to the state as the state reduced the value of the exclusivity. And how'd they do that? Well, they, they put slot machines in their racetracks. They approved casino gaming. They competed directly against the Senegas to the extent that their laws allowed them to. They, nothing, nothing in the compact stopped this, the state from doing anything, uh, competing against the Senecas. Nothing in the compact did. But but again, I don't want to get too, too far off of what Lockport is saying, Lockport Journal. They're saying this, this ruling from this arbitration, it was a binding arbitration, so it should be binding. Well, that's fine. All right. We can accept the fact that the arbitration panel ruled that the uh, uh, that they interpret the 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 compact as requiring payments to continue. Well, here's the problem with that: it changes what the Senate has agreed to. Now, when the Interior Department the Interior Interior Department has to approve a compact, they also have to approve changes in a compact. Now, a couple of things are changing now, but back when the the compact was first submitted to the Interior Department. The Interior Department didn't approve it. They didn't. They didn't reject it, but they they just they remained quiet on the issue. They let it go through without approval because that was the third choice. They could they could approve, they could reject, or they could punt, and that's what they did. Now, part of the reason they punted is because both parties agreed. Both the state and the Senegas agreed with what they had uh, negotiated. The, Senate, the the Interior Department had a problem with some of the language, but if the Senegas were okay with it. As far the Interior Department said, well, we're going to let it go. Both parties agree. That's not what you have now. Now you have a changed compact because you had two non-native people sitting on this arbitration panel that says, well, even though the language didn't say that uh, the payments should continue. In fact, the, the language said payments were only through 14 years. We're going to tell you that this compact needs to have uh, the, the payments continue. So you have you have two non-native arbitrators telling the Senecas what they have to do. Not this is no longer a compact. At least this provision is no longer a uh, a provision that both parties agreed to. So first off, the Interior Department is required by law to approve or at least review any changes in the compact. This is a change in the compact. I mean, even if it's only a change, even even if the, the, the Seneca's only considered a change, the language wasn't there that said payments should continue past 14 years. So Lockport, Journal, Buffalo News, it doesn't really matter what you say about what the arbitration panel has ruled. If they change the language of the compact, if something in the compact has changed, the Interior Department is, is supposed to rule uh, review it. And I'll tell you, here's what they have to review now. Now they're not reviewing a, a revenue-sharing agreement that both parties agreed to. Now they're reviewing changes in a revenue-sharing agreement that one party doesn't agree to. The Senecas don't agree that payments should continue past... Uh, should, they don't agree payments should, be, should continue at all. That they're done. They were done in 2016. Now here's the other thing the Interior Department is charged to do. And that's to review whether the revenue sharing agreement is legal under the underlying federal law in the first place. So, as you guys, you know, spin your wheels and take your shots at the Seneca Nation, because what you think, dilapidated fire trucks in Niagara Falls is, a, is the fault of the of the Seneca Nation, or potholes or anything else you want to blame the Senecas for? Look, the mismanagement of uh, of uh, municipal funds, whether it's Buffalo or, or Niagara Falls, and I'm not even including Sa- Salamanca in this. Salamanca's got rife with other problems, and and part of their problems is that they don't have they don't have a tax base to to support a city, and uh, the city is on Seneca land. The Senecas should just take over the city and, and and just run it. I mean, that's just the way it should be. But so Salamanca is a different, a little bit different animal. And throwing more money through this revenue sharing with the state isn't going to solve Salamanca's problems. So. So if you're if you're going to complain about the mismanagement of funds that Niagara Falls has you know has been responsible for, and then say that's why the Senecas need to pay, well you're missing the whole point. The Senecas aren't paying this this uh, revenue sharing to the state because of something Niagara Falls did for them. They they're not under no obligation to pay the state 
just because they have a compact. In fact, that's prohibited by federal law. The only way the Senecas can be required to pay is if they agreed to something that the state was going to give to them that was of substantial value. That's not the revenue-sharing provision that the state had that they breached almost immediately. Within a couple of years, they started competing directly with the Senecas by putting slot machines in their, in their horse racing tracks all over the state, but certainly in three of them, right within the so-called exclusivity zone. There was no exclusivity zone. To the extent that the state could could put slot machines and turn racetracks into casinos, to the extent they could do that under their own law, forget about the compact. They competed to the fullest extent their law allowed. The compact didn't stop them from putting slot machines in the in these racetracks. I mean, they couldn't put... I mean, because... <laughs> let me back up here. They couldn't build casinos because their law prohibited. They couldn't put class three slot machines in the racetracks because their law prohibited it. Not because of the compact. The compact said that the Senecas would have a protected market, and they didn't. They didn't have a protected market. And every slot machine that the, the state put in those in those uh, those racetracks made that exclusivity worth less and less and less. And now it's worthless. That's exactly what it is. So Buffalo News Lockport Journal, you know, all you other white folks who are just hating on the Senecas because you think the Senecas are somehow have gotten over on on the state and on the local municipalities. I gotta tell you, you know, all that renovation, all this 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 new building uh, taking place at the uh in, in downtown Buffalo near the, in, the inner harbor and all this stuff, that started with the Senecas. And they didn't get they didn't get you know, any uh, cash assistance from the city of Buffalo or the state of New York. No, they just built it. And whatever assistance that the Senecas were were supposed to have gotten from the state in opening up their first casino in Niagara Falls, which the state and the city of Niagara Falls wanted desperately because they saw money flowing across the river to the Canadian casinos. Whatever whatever initially started that assisted the, the, the Senecas in getting the convention center and then you know which was a, a a white elephant this is something that was costing the 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 city of niagara falls money and they took it off their hands they paid them well for it and then they got screwed on the on the adjacent property overpaid like 24 million dollars for a parking lot i mean so look i mean if, if you think the senecas owe the state just because they opened up a casino that's not the way it works the only thing they could they could owe the state for is something the state gave them that was substantially beneficial to their business exclusivity could have been that but they were never given exclusivity they were given an area that was supposed to be an exclusivity zone but but then they didn't that that, they didn't have market protection so now the interior department has to look at the whole thing now which is Obviously not what the arbitration panel did. For that, for those arbitrators to say, "Well, the Senecas are getting, um, they're getting market protection for nothing. They're getting something for nothing." No, they aren't. They haven't. They didn't get anything nearly worth one point five billion dollars from the state. And in fact, if you, if you, and I've said this multiple times on the show, the operators of the state licensed casinos, they hope. They hope that the Senecas continue to pay for this worthless exclusivity because you know what? They they can't compete. They feel like they can't compete if the Senecas aren't paying their 30, 40, 50%. And it's not just 25%. It's 25% of the net slot drop, which is closer to 48% of the total revenue from the slot machines. The Senecas are probably paying a higher rate than the state licensed casinos. Really? And And, and I'll tell you, there's there is more money going to the state than go to the Seneca people. Let that sink in. There is more money going to the state or that has gone to the state of New York than went to the Seneca people directly. Or even indirectly. I mean, look, there there's been good employment and there, you know, the, the Senecas have had uh, you know, you know, certainly have enjoyed um uh so expansion and, and buildings and, and and a bunch of other things that they certainly have, have you know utilized these casinos to to improve their quality of life 
and in fact, what the Senecas took home from the, those casinos you, is much more notable, um, and you could, is more evident than than the one point five, almost, almost well, over one point four, almost one point five billion that the state took. What state got to show for it? What does Niagara Falls have to show for? They got old fire trucks for crying out loud. That's what the that's what Niagara Falls is to show for. Would they? You know what happened? Niagara Falls became gaming addicts. They became addicted to gaming because without that revenue coming in, as the state violated, I mean, violated their their exclusivity and diminished the the exclusivity provision to the point where it's worthless. And now that it's termed out, and again, the Senate has offered time and time again. Look, you want to, you guys want to get together and, and talk about something that we can do to um, help the city. There's plenty that the, the Senecas could do. But nobody will come to the table. They're hoping this, and they're hoping that the strategy the state employed, which was to not clarify the language in the compact when they had the opportunity to do so in the run-up to the renewal, but they could they could hopefully get a an arbitration panel to rule their way. They, look, they can't they 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 threw the dice. I know, bad pun, right? They they, they rolled the dice and they, and again it turned out for them. They got two white guys on the arbitration panel to rule their way and say, look, nope, Seneca's got to continue to pay. Well, here's the problem. You just rewrote the compact and now the Interior Department has to approve it. And this time, unlike in 2002, the Interior Department has to look at a a compact where the parties do not agree. So this is essentially the state is, is, is is in the position to say, we need the Interior Department to approve this change even though the Senecas don't agree to it. I think that's a pretty heavy lift. So, um, and, and, and this is the law. I mean, this is your law. This is your federal government. It's not, it's not our federal government. You know what? The Senecas could, you know, could, could do gaming with or without the state. And I know people say, well, they could just do class two and then they don't need a state or a compact or anything. I, I think the Senecas could do this stuff without, without a compact anyway. And if the state wants to walk away and say, look, we're not going to have a compact with these guys. Well, go ahead and do it. There's there's nothing in the law, in in federal law or state law, that gives the state the power to shut down an operating um, gaming facility by the Seneca Nation. So, I mean, I think it's uh, it, it it's really noteworthy that while these two publications and the, and the Lockport Journal is one of the you know it's it's one of the the bigger small newspapers in Western New York. I mean, on one end, you know, look, it, it, you get craziness coming out of the Jamestown paper with, uh, um, I don't even remember the guy's name, um, uh, one of those holy rollers, you know, putting his racist stuff out there. And now you got, yeah, Pat Buchanan, that's what it is. Yeah, Pat Buchanan. You know, I don't know why they, why, why uh, Jamestown newspaper carries the Pat Buchanan uh, uh, column. But, uh, you know, so you got this guy writing his his racist stuff. And then now you've got the Buffalo News calling the Seneca Nation cheats and liars, and and now you got the Lockport, uh, you know, Journal jumping on the Seneca, saying you know they agreed to binding arbitration. Well, look, they agreed to use arbitration to solve a conflict, not to not to have the state rewrite the compact. And so, if that's what the compact says, then. Uh, or, or what the compact now says, because these two guys changed the, the the language, it's simple. The Interior Department has to review it. That's just it's a standard uh, procedure. So to, to call out the Senecas as if they're doing something wrong, they're they're just protecting. Look, they're protecting themselves. And you know, and I heard somebody say, "Well, how would the Senecas feel if if they won an arbitration and the state appealed?" I don't think the Senecas would have had a problem. Well, for them, you can't appeal the ruling. But if the state start try to do other strong arming against the Senecas, then the Senecas would have taken it on step by step. So, I mean, it's interesting that we that we live here in Western New York, um, Seneca territory. It's all um, ancestral Seneca territory, and those people who have now you know dug in and made homes here. I mean, look, I even got to throw uh, WBFO under the bus here a little bit. I mean, they did this whole thing about making Buffalo your home. They did this whole campaign on, on, on the NPR station here in Western New York. They said, 
whether you came here a hundred years ago or just recently, we want to hear your story on how you made Buffalo your home. They completely left out the fact that there were people here before anybody came here a hundred years ago. There was no invitation to hear from native people who have always been here in Western New York. And I even raised the, raised the issue. I said, you know, your campaign is a little bit racist because you're talking about people showing up, you know, to make Buffalo their home now or 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 a hundred years ago. What about two hundred years ago? What about five hundred years ago? See, this is and, and it, look. I know when I when I call this stuff racist, people say, "Oh, there he goes dropping the race card." But that's exactly what this is. When you want to ignore a people who are distinct from you, and you automatically think that that you are superior to them, and that we're we're bound to be um, obligated to you or to your government, your state government or your federal government, and and then you want to ignore what you're obligated to under your own laws. I mean, you you can clearly hear the tone in these two um, editorials from the Lockport Journal and from the Buffalo News. The tone is is really clear. And and unlike the Jamestown paper running a Pat Buchanan uh, column, this is, these are the newspapers that are writing this. These are this is the view of the newspaper, the editors, and these are the people who are supposed to have unbiased journalist uh, journalistic practices. Eh, not so much. I mean, it, it would seem to me that anybody would say, "Look, this thing just needs to go through the process." But you know what? The reason they don't is because they're looking at these municipalities, Niagara Falls in particular. And realizing that they are in dire straits, that their management of that city has been such that 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 they they aren't even taking care of their basic needs. I mean, Niagara Falls they do a they do do a survey every year on the the worst cities in the state. Niagara Falls was like number one. Buffalo and Niagara Falls were one and two. I think they swapped out somewhere uh, over the last couple of years. And 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 it has to do with crime. Has to do with with the conditions. Yeah. The only thing that Buffalo has uh, you know has earned a spot for is that they say Buffalo may be the most resilient city when it comes to climate change. So the only thing that Buffalo hasn't been able to screw up is is the the, the nature uh, uh, the, their their natural protection from from things like climate change. But in the meantime, you got Buffalo and Niagara Falls that are that are rife with 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 crime, and you know what. <laughs> this is the crazy part. Paul Dicer, the mayor of Niagara Falls, he even went so far at a 9-11 commemoration last last fall to suggest that, um, that the Senecas are responsible for an ill-prepared and unequipped um, first responder uh, unit from the, from Niagara Falls. They, you know, he, he said the, the police are undermanned, the, the police are uh, under-equipped, their fire department is under-equipped. I mean, he went, he went on and on, just like the Lockport... Uh, journal did here blaming the senecas for the fact that this mayor has mismanaged the city to the point where that that what he doesn't have he, he can't equip his police force and his fire department i i mean i mean it's it's great to have a scapegoat i guess but when it, the interesting thing is you would never hear you would never hear a city say oh look what the jews are doing to us or look what the blacks are doing to us. I mean, you might get them to throw a little bit at, the, at, at refugees, I guess, or immigrants. But not even so much here in Western New York. In fact, places like Buffalo and Niagara Falls, they're glad there's an uh, influx of immigrants because there's such an exodus of people leaving the cities that it were not for the immigrants coming in, documented or undocumented, their population, I mean, this, um, Niagara Falls dropped below uh, 50,000 a couple of years ago, I think. It's not. I mean, it, it, and there's a there's a threshold for for you know what is a small city, and and I mean it's got it's got it. Their population is shrinking, sh- shrinking year by year, and were it not for the influx of uh, of um, uh, refugees and, and immigrants, Buffalo and Niagara Falls would be in, in, in dire trouble because uh, with their population. So, and you want to blame the Seneca Nation. Let me, and again, I, I've got to, I've mentioned this before and I've got to reiterate it. Nobody, nobody is assessing the fact 
that the state has taken a billion dollars out of gaming revenue out of the area. Oh, a billion and a half got uh, got sent to the state, and and but you know about four hundred million, almost half uh, half a half a billion came back to the. But the state kept a billion dollars, a billion dollars. So a billion dollars was ripped out of the Western New York economy, and nobody from the Lockport Journal seems to be concerned about that. Nobody from the Buffalo News seems to be concerned about that. You don't hear Paul Dicer or Byron Brown or anybody else saying, you know, this revenue sharing hasn't really worked out for us either. Not only did it, you know, did the state not negotiate a uh, uh, revenue sharing to continue, but they've they've actually violated the revenue sharing, you know, provision their their, their exclusivity, leaving us, you know, w- uh, without getting that revenue from the state. But the state's also taken a billion dollars out of the area. You cannot tell me that when you take a billion dollars out of an area that's already financially stressed, you don't think Buffalo has been impacted by a billion dollars leaving Western New York? You don't think Niagara Falls has been impacted by a billion dollars leaving Western New York? Of course they have been. But you don't hear the Lockport Journal talking about that. And you don't hear the uh, the Buffalo News talking about that. I mean, they've got... Great universities here in Western New York. They could pull an economist out of UB or Buff State or somebody or Canisius or one of these colleges and say, let's look at the economic impact of the state pulling a billion dollars out of the area. I mean, look, there's lots of fanfare when the when, when Governor Cuomo says, oh, we're going to put a billion dollars, we're going to call it the Buffalo Billion, we're going to send a billion dollars to Western New York. Well, when's that happening? And how's that happening? Pay to play? It's been shrouded in, in, in controversy ever since that, that whole thing even began. And you know what? A billion dollars hasn't come back, but a billion dollars sure as hell left, and nobody's talking about that. So, so let's see you at Lockport Journal. Let's see you Buffalo News. Let's see you do a story on the money that the state's taken from the area, not just what you think. Because I'll tell you, if it had stayed, and, and the money the Seneca's are taking in now, all gets spent back here in western New York. None of it goes to Albany. The Senecas don't pay money to Albany. Not anymore. Not anymore. All right, folks. Well, that's it for today. Uh, we will be back here on Tuesday. And uh, and again, keep in mind that I do a show in New York on Thursdays, and you can catch that show. We, we post it up on our uh, website. We uh, we put it up as a podcast, and we, we put it up on our YouTube channel. So uh, check out our show last week, which had Peter DeRico in it. And check out our show next week when we, uh, we have Lance Gums join us because you're going to – Again, see more uh, more racism that's not just from the right, but from the white, and you're gonna and you're gonna see that in our show from New York this week as well. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.